From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. When the wall of a blood vessel weakens, a balloon-like dilation called an aneurysm sometimes develops. This happens most often in, in the abdominal aorta, the largest blood vessel in the body. If this balloon ruptures, it's often deadly. Here to talk about options for treating these aneurysms is Dr. Michael Costanza, a professor of surgery in the Division of Vascular Surgery. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's uh, start with how common abdominal aortic aneurysms are. Well, abdominal aortic aneurysms are the 10th leading cause of death for older men. And so uh, in this country, about 30,000 people a year actually die from an abdominal aortic aneurysm. And it may be more, it's just that they may not be diagnosed before people die. So it's a cause of sudden death. Um, You said men. Is it more common in men? It's definitely more common in men than women. Usually it's about a three or four to one ratio from men to women. We don't really understand why that is. But as women are living longer, and they do usually live longer than men, we are seeing more aneurysms get diagnosed in women, especially in the elderly group of women. So how would you know if you have an aneurysm? Well, sometimes you wouldn't know at all, and and that's why it's very important to know if you're at risk for aneurysms, because currently, um, if you are at risk, uh, Medicare offers a free screening for aneurysms in people who are in the risk categories, and those would be people who are 65 to 75 years old who either have a family history of aneurysms or are a man who has ever smoked in their life, and those Uh, groups would be eligible for a free screening by uh, Medicare, which basically just involves an ultrasound. And with an ultrasound, it's a non-invasive painless test, and they can detect if you have an aneurysm or not. Okay. What, uh, how do these aneurysms develop? Are they just like a natural process, or is there like an underlying disease that causes an aneurysm? Yeah, we wish we knew, because if we did know, then we could really identify people more at risk. But We think that it's a genetic predisposition to get them, uh, but they don't happen until much later in life. And then there is an environmental factor as well. In other words, people who are predisposed to get them, the people in that group that smoke uh, seem to get them more readily than people in that group that don't smoke. So you probably inherit something to get them, and then you add another couple factors, and then people get aneurysms. But it's still unclear exactly why some people get them and some people don't, even in the same family. Do, um, is there anything being done in terms of like prevention? If you have a history of this in your family, sure, you can get screened, but is there something you can do to like prevent or strengthen the vessel or somehow? Yeah, we've done lots of studies on that, and nothing has ever shown that it will make an aneurysm either not form or go away. The, big, the best thing that people can do is uh, if they do smoke, to stop smoking, or if they don't smoke, never, never start, because that does seem to facilitate aneurysm growth. So you as a vascular surgeon, what do you do um, to determine what the best treatment is for a particular patient? So we look at, uh, obviously we look at the whole patient, but in terms of aneurysms, we look at specifically at the size of the aneurysm. And that really determines when we would recommend treatment versus just surveillance imaging or watching the patient. As the aneurysms get bigger, the stress on the wall of the artery increases and when it increases too high, it would obviously would break. So we would like to repair all aneurysms before it gets to that breaking point. And right now, based on studies, we use uh, five and a half centimeters as the usual cutoff point where we would recommend fixing the aneurysm because at that point, the risk starts to go up and it actually exceeds the risk of having a surgical repair. So if you're a person who has a five centimeter um, aneurysm and you're not recommended for treatment right away, 
doesn't that make it sort of nervous to go on living, knowing that this thing is in there? Yeah, people have looked at that, uh, the psychological impact of that. Um, when, when we do uh, choose to not intervene right away, we do get a screening exam or another uh, imaging exam at least in six months. So we'll know if it grows. And, and generally, aneurysms grow less than 10% in a year. So if you were at five centimeters and you did it in six months, the most it would be expected to grow is about two millimeters, and you'd still be below the cutoff. So it takes some reassurance, and some patients really can't handle that, but um, but uh, that's the way we go about it. Um, is there any advice you give someone in that situation for, like, do they need to, like, not have stress in their life? or do, is there, Are there things they can do to sort of... Um, yeah, not accelerate it. they always ask about that, and you would think that would be the case. But for a blood vessel, when you think about it, the blood vessel has to withstand the pressure of every heartbeat, every, you know, every moment you're alive. So it's not like a hernia when you strain, it puts more pressure. The blood pressure is a uh, blood vessel is under that pressure all the time. So it's really your activity really doesn't affect it at all. So you can still play basketball or do yeah, whatever, absolutely. whatever your normal stuff is. Right. Okay. Well, let me remind listeners, this is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Michael Costanza. He's an expert in vascular surgery, and we're discussing minimally invasive treatment options for abdominal aortic aneurysms. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about, the basic treatment options when someone has an aneurysm. And you've explained that not everyone needs to have it repaired right away, depending on the size and other factors. But let's say somebody does need a repair. Um, what sorts of options do they have? Right. Well, we, we've been repairing aneurysms for about the last 50 or 60 years. And when we first started repairing aneurysms, we would actually go inside the belly to the aorta, which is the main blood vessel in the body. And we would actually clamp the main blood vessel above and below the weak area and then actually remove the aneurysm part and replace it with an artificial blood vessel that's actually sewn to the, the normal blood vessel. And that is obviously a very invasive procedure, uh, but it worked very, very well. And then in the late 90s, uh, they developed a new technique of putting a stent inside the blood vessel that's weak, and that stent would actually seal to the blood vessel above and below the weak area, and we call that an endovascular aneurysm repair. And uh, since that time, that has become the predominant way of fixing aneurysms because it's much less invasive and uh, the patients recover very, very quickly. And it's, it turns out to be very, very effective at treating the aneurysm. So do, is open surgery still sometimes used? Open surgery is still used. It's a much smaller percentage of patients, but there are patients where the stents that are manufactured will not fit into the seal zone. And in those cases, the only option then would be open surgery. But that's a minority of patients um, compared to what it once was. So endovascular repair, that means uh, you're coming from inside the blood vessel? Yeah, that's right. We can usually do these just with a needle puncture in both of the femoral vessels, which are the vessels right up where your leg bends at the hip. Um, and so we go in with a needle, and then through that needle, we're able to pass wires and then the stent itself. Um, and then under x-ray guidance, we uh, deploy the stent so that it seals to the, aneur to the blood vessel above and below the aneurysm. And that excludes the pressure from the weak area and allows that to actually shrink down around the stent and the aneurysm is treated. So there, you don't have to remove the aneurysm tissue or anything. Right, that that's just right. stays right there. It's yeah. reinforced. That's right. It's reinforced. But on the on the other hand, the aneurysm is still there. So if the seal would ever break at any point in time, the aneurysm would still be there to re-expand. And so that's why 
one, that we put them in under x-ray guidance so that we see that it's sealed off, and two, that we follow the patients afterwards to make sure that that seal is still intact. And then the patient doesn't have this big scar, right? Right. There's no scars at all. You would never be able to tell. Usually it's just done through needle punctures, and and many patients go home the very next day. So it's really an amazing transformation from what it used to be. Now, these stents, what are they made of? Do they... Do they assimilate into the body okay? or? Yeah, the stents are actually made of a material, the same material that we used to use for the open repairs. They're just mounted on kind of a metal scaffolding that is allowed to expand inside the body, and that's that friction or that pressure of outward expansion is what keeps the stent in place. But the material itself is the same material we would use for an open repair, so we know that that material is very, very durable. Durable. How long do they last? Do you, does anyone ever have to come back and have it taken out and replaced? Or? They do occasionally, but it's very, very rare. Um, so, And that's the reason that we do check on them at least once a year to make sure that that material is holding up and that the seal is still intact. If we would detect something on a yearly CAT scan or ultrasound, then we would usually have an endovascular way of repairing it. In other words, we could slide in a reinforcing stent or reinforce an area that became, became weak. Huh, interesting. Now, are all patients um, with all types of aneurysms candidates for this minimally invasive procedure? Or yeah, So to be, a, to be a candidate, and we usually determine it by the CAT scan, uh, you have to have a certain size of normal blood vessel above and below the aneurysm. And so there are patients that uh, do not have that um, anatomy, and they would not be a candidate for the standard repair. And does it matter where in the body the aneurysm is? It does. Um, the majority of aneurysms are in the what we call the infrarenal abdominal aorta, which is the aorta below the kidneys. Um, so it's between your lower breastbone and your belly button. Um, as some aneurysms are actually extend all the way up to the kidneys or even above the kidneys, and those are, would be uh, more complex aneurysms that require a different type of stent or an open repair. Now, um, the term fenestrated endograph? Can you tell us what that is? So a fenestrated endograft is an endograft that allows you to seal an aneurysm that approaches the level of the kidneys. And that graft has a built-in openings so that the kidney arteries are able to be uh, still get blood flow even though the stent extends up to the kidneys. And these grafts are something that's been uh, developed over the last 10 years but only have been commercially available for about the last five or six years. And they're actually all custom-made based on the CAT scan. And so uh, we actually measure where the kidneys arteries are, how big they are, and what, um, what uh, place they are on, on the uh, blood vessel itself. And then they're custom-made. And then we put them in uh, and align them with the kidneys so that um, the kidneys themselves are not blocked in any way by the stent, but the stent still is able to seal off the aneurysm. So it's wow. a much more involved procedure, but it's still all done through very minimal access. In other words, still through a needle puncture, and the patients still go home very, very quickly after the surgery. But just for certain patients, a more specialized Right. uh, This is a small minority of patients, probably less than 10% of all aneurysm patients. But for those patients, um, it can make a huge difference because otherwise, without these specialized stents, they would be having open repairs And those open repairs are actually even riskier than the standard open repair because they involve clamping the kidney arteries, 
which could result in renal failure or then needing dialysis afterwards. Uh-huh. So it's been a huge difference for these patients that otherwise had no choices. Okay. All right. Well, we've been talking about um, when you discover an aneurysm and have time to treat it, but oftentimes people um, learn they have an aneurysm when it ruptures and then it's an urgent, emergent problem, right? That's right. It's a life-threatening problem. If they don't have it repaired, then it's uh, almost 100% chance of of dying from the aneurysm just because of the blood loss. And so in those cases, um, we actually are usually able to fix them with a stent. um, And we have stents, um, you know, on the shelf ready to be put in for those type of patients. And um, if you get the patient in a soon enough time, then uh, the stent can be a very effective treatment for that otherwise fatal condition. Okay. Now, a person who has an aneurysm and has it repaired, are they liable um, to get another aneurysm? A few uh, of those patients do get other aneurysms. It's about 10 or 15%, but it takes time for them to develop. Aneurysms don't come up overnight. And so even patients that have had an open repair, we still follow them on a regular basis to make sure that they're not developing new aneurysms because about 10 or 15% of them will. So once you do have the repair, they'll still be coming back to see you? Or? Yeah, that's right. Once somebody is identified as having an aneurysm, we continue to follow that patient in the long term. What's um, sort of the outlook? Um, what are you looking for, and what do you usually find with people who've had repairs? Well, we monitor them for uh, the integrity of the repair itself, and then we also look at the chest for aneurysms, and then some of them will actually develop aneurysms in their legs as well. That's the next common spot. So we look at all those places to make sure that they're not developing new ones um, that could be treated. Are the ones in the legs as serious as the ones in the abdomen? Well, the ones in the legs are serious in that they don't usually rupture, but they can form clots within them. And if the clots go down the leg, then it's one of the reasons people end up losing their legs. So if they don't know that they have it and they come in with a clot in it, then the chance of them losing their leg is actually quite high. Whereas if we detect it in advance and fix it before it has a chance to form clot, then they're almost certainly not going to lose their life. So that follow-up is very crucial exactly. for this. Great. Well, thank you for all this information. My guest has been vascular surgeon and professor of surgery, Dr. Michael Costanza. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.